I love uh, going through a book. I love starting a new book. And I love finishing a book. You know, it, you know, so often I have in my past, I would start something but not finish it. Anyone ever do that? I got my toilet in my upstairs bathroom knees fixed and I've got these pieces been sitting there. And I got to lift the tank off and, you know, with the leg, it's obstacle. And sometimes my leg goes out from under me and sometimes it does. And I, I make all kinds of excuses. But it is so wonderful when God takes us through that book and we finish that book. And we learn what God has for us in there. And sometimes what it means is that, that I need to persevere. Persevere in my studies. Persevere in prayer. And really, that's going to be kind of a theme that we're going to find in Second Timothy, a, a persevering, finishing the race, persevering in the, the most difficult time. I don't know how many have got rid of their TV, but we, got, we have the TV, but we watch a video on it or something. But the news is devastating. It's horrid. It's depressing. We watch our news on the internet and, and if we need to go in deeper then we can look at the channel news but we're going to need to persevere because the times are going to get worse. They're not going to get better. They're going to get more evil. And just as it is for us a little differently, Timothy needed to persevere in the face of a apostasy. Now, we'll talk about apostasy war when we get to probably chapter 3. Apostasy, as I mentioned before, simply is a falling away from the truth. A falling away from the truth. That means people have heard the truth, they know the truth, but really they abandon the truth. This is interesting. My notes are disappearing on me today. And it's important to understand that Timothy is, is left in this place, a place of Ephesus. And why I'm pulling up my notes, does anyone, can anyone describe really what's going on in Ephesus, anyone? What was Ephesus like? Do you remember from uh, 1 Timothy what Ephesus was all about? Anyone remember? Well, that's one way to put them, snakes. You've seen them on TV, haven't you? But they were apostates. Timothy was left to teach these things, and it's really important that, that these people, he was to prevent them from stop teaching this truth. Now, you can't stop a false teacher, can you? Maybe in your own congregation here, but you can't stop them on TV. They're in the world. In fact, when you go to the uh, parables, you find the wheat and tear I've mentioned before, and they grow side by side until the harvest. You can't tell the difference. But you'll recognize them by their fruit. And this is what was happening. In fact, let's read our text together. It's Second Timothy 1, verses 1 through 6. Now, Paul, apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, 
Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I'm mindful of the, of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. As I mentioned, Timothy needs to persevere. It's something in face of, again, apostasy, but also persecution. You and I do not understand persecution. You can look at the persecuted church and read about them, but until you're confronted with that persecution, many people within America say, I'm being persecuted. They don't know what persecution is. The question is, are you willing to lay down your life for Jesus Christ? If someone would come up and challenge you and say, just recant what you believe. Just turn away from Jesus. Just never go to church again. Never read the Bible. You would have to make a choice. Those that are being persecuted will lay down their life. They will not recant their belief in who Jesus Christ is. Even when their own family is killed in front of them. I think one of the greatest things for you and me would be to go afar, to see persecution firsthand. Not to hate the people that are persecuting, but really pray for them. Chazza was here last week. He was telling me how they had went into uh, Syria and they were going to the, the refugee camps where ISIS was. And really ISIS meaning the wives the family, because no one wants to go there. Everyone hates them. In reality, we must remember that they're blinded by the God of this world, and they were called to bring the gospel message. We're called to love them, to encourage them. Baffled when they brought in mats and full of containers and materials and clothing and giving it away, they just can't understand it. There's hatred, anger in their hearts because their family, who have been ISIS, have been killed, and they hate us even more. Yet love covers a multitude of sin. Love breaks down those walls. And they saw people come to Christ. Persecution would be a good thing if it came to this country. Because right away we'd find out who's Christians and who's not Christians. Timothy needed to persevere in this situation in the face of apostasy, persecution, he needed to be an example to others. 
when I see someone going and continuing and persevering in their faith when things are falling apart, it's encouragement to me and even a challenge to me to press on. Anyone, don't hold your hands up, what I'm going to say. Think they really have problems? Let me tell you, you have no problems at all until you go around the world to other countries. Jazz, who is here, raised 26 kids. Anyone want to sign up afterwards to raise 26 kids? And as I mentioned last week, they just kept, she was nursing, his wife was nursing, and they bring a baby, leave him on the front porch. You know, you only see this on TV. And she'd nurse two babies. One would come off, another one would come on, until they received 20 babies plus six of their own biological babies. That was persevering. When we had the opportunity to go and see what they endured in the Philippines, they were down there for many years. And yet what Chaz went through was nothing compared to what he sees in Iraq, Syria, Jordan, the refugee camps. But here in Ephesus, there was a hatred toward Christians. Oh, there was a church that was established, but it was in the midst of really iniquity. Prostitutes for every form of every cult, every type of cult you could think of in this city. As worldly as worldly could be. Well, some people write, down in their commentaries that this is really Paul's last will and testament. See, again, Timothy is really, again, we're going to see Paul's son in the faith, his protege. And I believe that his heart is really breaking. It's the last words that he's going to, to really, in a sense, feel like he's going to give Timothy knowing that his days are going to be cut short very, very quickly. It's, if this was the last time that you would speak to your kids, what would you say? And the words were words of perseverance. Second Timothy 1.15, notice again what's going on in the, the heart of Paul. It says, you are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom was Phygelus, and homogenes. He's now in Rome. And everyone is turning against him. Everyone is abandoning. Everyone is jumping ship because they're not persevering. They're not continuing in their faith. In fact, they're distracted by so many things. There's two other men, Hymenius and Philetus. Not only had they had apostatized, they wandered from the truth. They knew the truth, but they left. That's what apostasy is, is a falling away. They were once serving in the field side by side. You know them in churches. If you've been in church any length of time, there will be people here, and eventually they will be gone. Never ever to return to the body of Christ. Some may be believers, hurt, but most just wanted to check in, make sure their boxes checked. They knew God. They were baptized. They did this. They did that. And they live a life for themselves. They weren't willing to persevere for their faith. 
Well, there's another one. His name is Demas, whom Paul had previously considered a co-worker. Philemon 24. But he had deserted because of his love for the world. The things of the world, the wonders of the world had drawn him away. 2 Timothy 4.16 says this, At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. He still has this heart, Paul. May it not be counted against him. You know, Paul really wants some to come back to the Lord. In fact, Paul, if you remember in Romans, he was willing to give up his own salvation to see his brother, and that is the Jewish brother, come into the kingdom if it were possible, but it's not. And now he's leaving Timothy in a situation where he knows what Timothy's going to go through. He knows the persecution and the difficulties that he's going to go through. And Paul here is simply in the beginning acknowledging, and we're going to find in here, so many have walked away from the faith in Timothy. You need to stand firm. You need to be steadfast. Paul speaking about himself in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, he simply would, would say that he's finished the race well. Boy, isn't that something that, that you want to know, that you finished the race well, that you did a good job? Like beginning a book and ending a book, or raising your kids, or being the best employee, or simply being a child of God and growing and maturing and being conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And finding out people around you recognize that difference in your life. There's two more words I want to call your attention to. The first is the the gospel that we're going to see in here again. The good news. The good news is not good news to everyone. Because not all will hear. Not all will want to hear. Even here today, when the word is being read and spoken, people will close their mind to the truth. And we need to pray that we would persevere. See, this word we're going to see, especially when we get to Second Timothy, is, is God breathed. God breathed out His word. And this is the inspired word of God. God has spoken to you through His very Word, and it is a living Word, and is active and sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing as far as it needs to pierce. But you can choose not to hear. You can choose to close your mind. Or you can choose what you want to hear and obey what you want to obey and believe that you're really saved and going to heaven. After all, you've said a sinner's prayer. You've been baptized. You, you've given. You, you come to church. That does not make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is the fact that they were called Christians first in Antioch. Antioch, that is, of Assyria. Because their lives were so much like Christ. If someone would call you a Christian today, I pray it's because you're like Christ. And why they may mock you is the greatest compliment in the world to be like Christ. 
There's someone to see you in the workplace or somewhere in a store and say, I wonder if they're a Christian. Look at the way they act. They're different. Look at when that person hit their brakes in front of them and, and, and they ran into the back of them. No warning. And they get out to, just to make sure they're okay and there's this love and the concern. We need to persevere in our faith in, in every circumstance, in everything that, that we do. Look with me in verse 1. Notice Paul's apostleship. Apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle is one who is sent forth. That's important to understand. Sent forth first. Let's look at Hebrews 3.1, and I want to show you some. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Jesus was sent by the Father into a world to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of all. He is the, T-H-E, apostle, sent by the Father. And as Jesus Christ came to this world, he also sent out and chose 12 apostles to start with. They were given a mission and they are apostles as well. They are also sent. Now, when you go to some churches today, there's some people who will hold out their card, give it to you, I'm apostle so-and-so. I want to tell you something. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, in a very loose sense, you are apostle. Well, what do I mean by that? The word simply means sent one. Jesus Christ has given us His great commission and you are Jesus' hands and His feet. You don't need a title, but you are sent into this world to be a light unto the nations. A light unto this world, it's important to understand. Now, I like what Paul says, apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I'm going to jump over to Galatians 1.1. It's on the screen coming up. And notice what it says, Paul, apostle. He starts the same way. Not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus being sent as apostle was sent out by the Father. But here, Paul's speaking, he is apostle sent by Jesus Christ. This is his authority. And this is the will of God. You too are sent in a looser sense and probably a better word than apostle is missionary. You're either a missionary or you're the mission field. I think it's really important that we see ourselves as a believer, as a missionary. That we have a mission. That mission is to take the Word of God out to a lost world, to our neighbors, to our friends. This is our Jerusalem. And then we move out to the outer places and further. Sometimes we may be sending some, as we have one in Japan. And even in our own community, Dustin, who goes up to the college and reaches out. He's very careful to say the authority is sent. It's not one who just exalts himself. 
as those that give a business card, hi, I'm Apostle so-and-so, whose authority were you sent out by? And oftentimes you'll find men exalting themselves, laying hands on one another. Well, that's something we do in ordination, but they're promoting one another. We're sent the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Let me show you what a sent one would look like in Acts 20, verse 17 through 24. Notice how Paul served, though. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house and solemnly testifying both to the Jews and the Greeks repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except for that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that the bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account dear to myself, so that I may finish the course and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ, to test solemnly the gospel of grace of God. Would you be a Christian if you knew that you would have to lay down your life? There's no greater love than one who would lay down his life for his brethren. Paul, a model example of what a person is to be like as a Christian. Unique? I think yes. I don't think anyone, including myself, even come close. But that should be our goal. To be like. To be totally given over, totally dedicated. Apostles, one who again who is set apart and sent on a mission, one mission. And that's important to understand. So Paul was apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. God's will was Paul's life. And it was to be centered around Christ. That's what Christians are, to be centered around Christ. That we check in with Him. We're led by Him. We're guided by Him. That is His Spirit. His Word that's living and active. And it's an Old Testament principle that, that carries through. It's a way that we live our life. In fact, notice with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Paul was one that was given totally over. It's still hard for me to comprehend. That's my prayer. That's my desire, not just for myself, but for every one of you. That when people look at us, when they hear us speak, they see something different. They see Christ Jesus. 
in our lives. They hear Christ speaking through us. Notice again in Galatians 2.20 how Paul, this was his life. Again, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who's loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul didn't have a life. His life was given over to Jesus Christ. And that's the struggle that you and I have first, is giving our life over to Christ completely. Would you agree with that? What happens? All of us get in the way. We're selfish if we're honest. We're self-centered if we're honest. We like our comfort. The question that I think we need to ask, is Christ prominent in our life or is he preeminent? Prominent or preeminent? The, the Bible teaches us if he is the Lord of our life, he is to be preeminent, that, that our lives are to be centered around him every decision we make. That drives people away because it rubs the grain against self. Prominent, if he's prominent in your life, it's kind of like you're a fan, like a baseball fan. You know all the statistics. You know the home runs, the strikes. You know everything about them. And sometimes Christians are just like fans, not really giving over their life. In a Christian sense, they, they can quote the Scripture, they know the Scripture, they can teach the Scripture. They make many of the right moves. They, they say the Christian buzzwords, but Christ is not preeminent in their life. He, their lives are not centered around Him. It's very easy for me to, to say that in one sense, but I have to ask myself, is He prominent in my own life? Is he before all things? Do I spend time with him before I spend time with someone else? Would I rather study the word or watch TV? Gentleman I knew years ago, he was a surfer. What he needed to do was to lay his surfboard on the, a sense, the altar in a sense. Because, see, he was a pastor and he would rather surf if the surf was up than teach. And he knew he had to quit. He knew it was stumbling him. And for about four or five years, he didn't surf at all until Christ could be preeminent in that area of his life. Now, he may be preeminent in one area, but prominent in another area. And the goal is that, that he would be the center of our life completely. Those are challenging words. They're hard words. You encourage? You comforted? You will one day when you hear those words, good and faithful servant. Enter in to my presence. There's a huge difference between prominent and preeminent. When that day of judgment finally comes and separated, there's a lot of people that have been trusting in the, the wrong things. They built their house upon the sand instead of upon the rock, being Jesus Christ. Notice Paul's awareness, though, in verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved son, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There was Paul's awareness, a, a sensitivity. Paul could see spiritually. When, when Christ is preeminent in your life, you see things that others don't see. He recognized there was something about Timothy. There was a calling upon her life. And, and that's what ordination is in a church. So often is, is number one, is laying hands upon someone. Is, is you're really acknowledging what God wants to do. You, you can see God moving in that life and that they have a calling. Sometimes it's a supernatural hunger for the Lord. Whether it be evangelistic or simply teaching the Word of God. Paul saw that. In fact, look with me in Acts chapter 16. Background for this, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who, who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts for he knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy, I, I love his name. It, it means honoring God or, or God's honor. And I think that's really the first thing that, that Paul saw. Here was a person that wanted to honor God. Here was a, a person that wanted to put God first in his life. And I know that's true about you. I see your hunger. I see your thirst. Yet in the same time, we're all human. We're all struggling to grow in Him. And, and what we need to do is learn more and more to surrender that area of our life that we're struggling in. Paul recognized this. And he calls him, notice, his, his beloved son, his, his faithful child in, in 1 Corinthians 4.17 and 1 Timothy 1.2. It's not on the screen. My true child in the faith. He recognized this was a true child, that he will persevere. Yes, he will have a rocky road, but he will continue. He's a true child. He is a faithful one. In fact, Paul will say about him, there's no one like him. He, he has this kindred spirit. He, he loved the people, loved the word, wanted to see people come into the kingdom. He looked for opportunities to minister. As if... The moment he was saved, something happened in his life. And that's truly what happens when a person is born again. Their life changes. They're a new creation in Christ. Old things pass away. All things are new. You have desires you never have. You can either quench that or follow that. Follow with our Lord is leading I love that fact, that disciple. It's interesting, that word disciple, 269 times. That's not in the New Testament as a whole. That's just in the Gospels and Acts. A disciple. It's one who puts himself under. Timothy was one who put himself under Paul as Paul put himself under Jesus Christ. Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ Jesus. And that's what Timothy did. He was a learner. He was a student. And every believer should be a disciple, but not every believer or professor are disciples. Ultimately, we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. We become conformed to that image. Now, the, in the Old Testament, they don't really use that word in the same way. It's 
Tillman Dean. The word means, again, to, to put yourself under, yes. But you would see a rabbi, a, a teacher, and you would watch them and say, I want to be like them, and I want that relationship that they seem to have with God above. I want to be able to do what they do. And the goal one day that you would be a rabbi, that you would learn from them. You would put yourself under them and you would learn. And that's what we do. We come and we put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. We submit to the Word of God and we become like Christ Jesus. That is, if He's preeminent in our life. Romans 12.1 and 2 says this, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, so you may prove the will of God that is good and acceptable. You know, it's interesting because this word, Telmedin going back is it it actually is a, a form of worship, being an offering, being a, a sacrifice. And when we get here, that's what it's talking about in Romans for the church, that we are to be a, a living sacrifice. God doesn't want a dead sacrifice. That doesn't satisfy him. But we're truly, literally living our life for Christ Jesus. And that is our worship to him. Not just singing, but the way we live our lives for Him. Paul was an old soldier. That is in the, in the Lord. He has fought the battle. He's concerned about the hardships that lay ahead. You probably understand that well as your kids are little and they grow up and they're going to go on their own. They're going to know what it's like to, to feed a family, to pay the bills, to juggle things and put them together. And there's the world. And so often within the body of Christ, some people are so overprotective of their kids that when their kids go into the world, they grow wild. You know the worries, the fears that come over us. And Paul, being that spiritual father, is concerned. And, and he knows that they're going to need something special. And that's important. Is They're going to need mercy and grace and peace. And while in a normal writing, if you're writing somebody, somebody you know, but they're not a close friend, you might just use these same words. But Paul was a man that every word that he wrote was pregnant with meaning. He was a man of depth. It's interesting. Grace is the transforming favor of God. First Corinthians 15.10, notice what it says. By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yes, not I, but the grace of God within me. What a person saved. This transforming grace changes them. They become this new creature in Christ. 
They're changed and new desires, as I mentioned. See, God's grace will save you today, but it will sustain you tomorrow and it will carry you through and it will make you persevere. And that's why when people don't persevere, so often this shows that they're really apostates. They started well, but they didn't finish well. Paul had a great concern for Timothy. He loved him as a father. He knew the persecution that would lie ahead, the false teachers that he'd have to confront, the temptations that he would have to deal with. And he knew that he would need that grace to save him day in and day out and to keep him going. God is not just simply the God of grace, but He's the God of all grace. You're saved by grace. You stand by grace. Look at the word mercy. This is the reason for transforming the favor of God because mercy, God made His grace available to those who needed it the most (laughs) and really didn't deserve it. I love that. When I see someone that looks so far away from God, they they need His mercy and grace, and they are prime candidates. Don't mark them off. The one that's yelling and carrying on the most, they're the one most likely to receive His mercy and grace. It might be your brother, it might be your family, your mom, your dad. Someone at your workplace, an angry boss. Someone who's in a gutter. Drugs. Slave of sexual desires. The prime candidate for grace. And God reaches in, snatches them out, and doesn't give them what they deserve but gives them His grace and gives them His peace. Psalm 94.18 says, If I should say my foot has slipped, your mercy, or in another translation, loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Have you almost slipped and knew that it was God really sustaining you, keeping you, testing you, One day I remember that happened in my life and, and I, it, it was like a, 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 like a big earthquake to me in this sense. Wow, I know my faith is real. Because it takes faith to trust God to receive His mercy. You have to receive His grace. You have to receive His mercy. He will not just save you to be saving you when you don't want to be saved. Notice Micah 7, verse 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his own possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in an unchanging love. He will again have compassion upon us. He will tread our iniquities under our foot. Yes, you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Israel who is blinded during this period of time, God will open up their hearts one day. He is not done with them. His mercy is sufficient. If you go to Israel, it's an incredible thing if you can go. But I'm going to tell you, Israel, for the most part, are secular. 
They are so far away from God. But there's going to come a point in the tribulation when they will recognize who He is and what they have done. And their part. And God will have mercy upon them. Well, there's another word, peace. Peace is the result of transforming favor of God because God accepts us and receives us back into that relationship. See, before you became a believer, you were an enemy of God. But the moment you believe and trust in Him, there is peace with God. But as you continue to grow in Him, as you continue to know Him more and more, there's a peace that passeth all understanding when things are falling apart as they are in this country and around the world in many ways. When I talk about the news being depressing, there can be a peace. Knowing, God, you're about to move very quickly. That I don't need to worry about tomorrow because he knows what will happen tomorrow. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we obtained our introduction to faith into this grace which we stand and we exalt the hope of glory. And then in John 16, 33, notice what it says. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I've overcome the world. We know how the end is going to be. We know what's going to happen when we close our eyes in this world and we're ushered into his presence, our spirits. Paul wants Timothy to experience this grace, this mercy, and this peace. He knows he needs it. Notice where it comes from. God the Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord God the Father, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Look with me in verse 3. We see Paul's conscience was pure. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience in the way my forefathers did. This is important to understand because we're going to see it in Timothy's life. Paul was raised a Jew, a Hellenistic Jew at that, in a Hellenistic culture. But following the traditions, that is, of Judaism. He lived for God, thinking that he was preeminent, sincerely deceived. In Acts chapter 9, he saved. And God knew. And as he was persecuting the church, God reached down with his mercy and snatched him out of that fire, that judgment. And he would become a chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Expositor's comments, there's two thoughts on Paul's mind. The inheritance of, of this religious consciousness. I'm a Jew. I'm God's people. One of God's people set apart from him. And there was a continual revelation to the Jewish people through the prophets how God had revealed himself in many ways. And they had the light of the covenant continue. And that was his trust in the, in the very word. Trying to live by the word or the law, which the law brought death. But Jesus Christ brought grace. 
Paul had been asked, when did you first serve God? He would have answered, before I was even separated in my mother's womb. He knew there was something instilled deeply inside him. And I'm going to say, that's true. Every Jewish person in their heart, there's something that God has instilled in them, their culture, but yet they're missing what's there. Just as many people in the world are missing what God would have them see. I was reading statistics on the Jewish people, how they've been immigrating back to Israel. There's something inside them. Paul didn't understand it, but he knew. He was set apart for God. And that was his choice in how to live. He was conscious of, of how, again, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how the law had been given. And, and this was his, not just a tradition, but it meant more to him than that. And he would try and live by that. In fact, in Philippians 3, 4 through 7, notice what it says, although I myself might have confidence, even in the flesh, if anyone else have a mind to put confidence in flesh, I far more. Notice, circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as a law of Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever these things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Now, he didn't know that at first, but when he come to know Christ, when he put Christ preeminent, man, he recognized, this is what God had been preparing me for. And I'm going to tell you, God has been preparing you even before your mother's womb that you would know him. He's given you a consciousness in your own mind. In fact, Acts 26, 5, notice what it says. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they were willing to testify, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest code of the religion. Thinking that was going to satisfy God. The only thing that will satisfy God is putting your trust and faith in Him. You cannot keep the law. No one can keep the law. Pure conscience. Notice again, First Timothy one five. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Paul made this again the point that he would strive in ministry. Again, what does it say? The goal of our instruction is love. That everything would be motivated by love, and to be from a pure heart, pure conscience, and a good conscience and sincere faith. Look at Acts twenty three one. Paul, looking intently in the council, brother and I live my life with perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And he's standing before the council. And he would curse. Oh, not in the language that you would. The high priest, but he did not know the high priest. And when he recognized what he'd done, his conscience convicted him. See, you'll have a good conscience, a clear conscience, that you'll be convicted easy. You know, there's some people that when they sin, they just really know they've sinned deeply. And they grieve. And that's very important that you have a conscience that when you are convicted of your sin, you confess your sin quickly. You go to that person if you've wronged them, and you return to him and say, I'm sorry, and you make it up. And if you don't, you're going to be searing your conscience little by little. Paul kept his conscience clear. 
Well, notice Paul's grateful memories. Verse 3, and I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. See, it was, it was for the Jewish people was something that they did. They had appointed times of prayer. You have appointed time. That's on Sunday morning for here to be here together with us. But in a sense, you should have appointed time. Some people do it when they eat. Some people do it in the morning when they wake up, in the evening before they go to bed. For the Jewish people, it was a very legalistic system. In fact, in Daniel 6.10, not on the screen, it says he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before God. Again, preeminent for Daniel. And I love that when Daniel, reading the Scripture, recognized that they were here in Babylon because their sin. He says, Father, forgive us for our sin as a nation. Notice verse 4, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When Paul had come and passed Ephesus, he was on his way to Rome. He passed it and he sent back uh, again people to bring the elders from Ephesus, and he met with them, and there were tears exchanged between both. And something I found in ministry, just like a family, there's tears that you come so close, so people become so meaningful to you. And I remember when I came to Hilo originally, and my pastor came to see me, and, and I remember when he left, there were tears in my eyes. The fellowship, the richness of that fellowship, that time that we prayed together was so meaningful. It was as if a, a part of me was going away. And this is what he's talking about. I know the, the relationship that we have of longing to see you, even as I recall your tears. He's talking about Timothy's tears. That there be this time of joy. This time of fellowship together. Fellowship and what is God doing and sharing. and So important to understand. Look at Paul's acknowledgement in verse 5. For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. I'm mindful. You know, one of the things I, I, I love to say is when I see people growing and I, I get close enough to them, and, and that's kind of hard sometimes. People don't always let themselves get close to one another. Is I love to go up and say, I love what God is doing in your life. You know why I like that? Because God gets the glory, but encourages them to grow. Because we all struggle with pride. Is that, is that true? Yeah. So why not glorify God when you see what God is doing? Encourage them, fan that, that flame in them. Paul speaking about him, as I mentioned earlier briefly, Philippians 2.20 says, I, I have no one else of kindred spirit who would generally be concerned for your welfare. See, he saw Timothy just like him that loved the people. Oh, that's so important for, for uh, a, a mother to know that there's someone that loves their kids as much as they do or here, a spiritual father, knowing that when he leaves, that Timothy will love and care and nurture, lay down his life. He knew that he could send him and that he'd be faithful. He'd do everything that God would allow him to do. He had a sincere faith. That means genuine. It was unhypocritical. It's really easy to, to put on a face before the world. But, but Timothy, he's saying, look, he's sincere. He, he saw him time and time again. He had proved faithful. 
Faith is interesting because you'll find that on, on, on the list of virtues in the Bible. Not only that, in, in doctrinal statements, we put our faith not in faith and faith, but faith in a faithful God to, to keep us to that day. The faith in his word that is true. And this is relevant today as it was then. Infidelity. Look again at verse 5. Notice where it came from. Which first dwelt in the grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I'm sure that is in you as well. How powerful it is to have a grandmother who is in the Lord when you're young. A grandfather. Who is not only in the Lord, but they've nurtured their own child and now they're nurturing you. I was sharing with the Wednesday group. I remember my grandfather when I was really young, maybe maybe eight, nine years old, something in that area. And, and my grandfather, I, I remember him always in a rocking chair. When he came home, he took his shower and he sat in his rocking chair and he'd be just reading the Bible every afternoon. And I remember that I said, Grandpa, what's your favorite book? You know how kids ask questions. He says, well, I like Samuel and Kings. And I was thinking, gosh, we're in Second Kings right now the influence upon my life. That when I go to the summers and I stay with them, that they would take me to church. My grandfather was an elder in a, in a church serving before me. And, they, and, and we went in as a church and we worshiped together and, and seeing them worship God. And this is the environment that, that Timothy came from. They, they were Jews in that one sense, but they're Hellenistic Jews. And what does that mean is, is they, were, they were set apart. They, they had compromised. They, they weren't following the law rigidly. In fact, then his mother could have married a Greek. It was forbidden. You might say they were liberal in one way. But he allowed them, the Greek, to study the word. Preparing Timothy's heart. Preparing for the, when the time would come that he would hear that gospel and respond to that gospel. It's so important to understand. Notice again in that verse, which dwelt in your grandmother Lois and Eunice. And I'm sure that it's in you as well. He, he saw it. He knew it was true. He knew it was genuine. But there's something else in that verse I want to call your attention. Notice he mentions the name Lois and Eunice. The very idea that he mentions it is, is saying that, look, these are people, real people, and probably people that he knew that the name is here. They're more than a, a passing, maybe on his first missionary journey that he'd shared with them. He sat down and he recognized that God was moving in their hearts. And if you've ever shared the gospel with someone, you can tell whether people are responding or not responding, whether they're processing or not processing. Look with me again, Paul's appeal. It's in verse 6. For this reason, I reminded to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this is going to become a controversial verse for a lot of people. And you're going to have to decide what you want to believe and what you think it might believe. And I have my, and I'm going to say, opinions. And I don't believe when they laid hands on, I don't believe it's a good translation that the gift was actually bestowed at that time. And I don't think that's really what it's saying. But more of acknowledging, more recognizing. It's not a point to divide over. 
Because I believe when a person's born again, you're complete in Christ. Every gift you have is sometimes it needs to be developed. Sometimes it only comes out when you're put in that situation. There's a time of need. Believing that God is giving you that gift, that God wants to use you. I've seen it both ways. And I could be perplexed, but I don't let it destroy me. Notice again what it says here. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh this gift of God. Now, some people have said that this is really about the fact that, that Timothy, well, he's not really a backslider, but he's really not as passionate, on fire. He's, he's not boldly going out. He's being intimidated easy. Some have gone on even to say he's like the, the church of Ephesus that left their first love. And that's possible. I don't think there's anyone here that is just like you were when you're born again. 100% on fire. Going in the grocery store, Lord, should I buy corn or peas or carrots? I've known people like that. Praying about everything. Laugh, but seriously, what do you pray about in your life? Do you pray God guide us to get just what we need and no more? Give us opportunity to share your grace. Notice again for this reason, the word says, therefore, it points back to the preceding verse. It refers to the, the motivation, really, to follow. Follow. Why should he do it? Well, the reason points to the preceding verses, as I mentioned, is really that his faith came as a gift from God. Faith is a gift. Now, faith, there's a saving faith, but there's also a gift of faith that is beyond anything you're, you, you would normally choose to do. I remember years ago, I was praying for diapers. You ever know a guy prayed for diapers? Prayed for a thousand packages of diapers and God gave me 1,100 plus a Matson container full of stuff. That wasn't me. That was God, a gift of faith. I believed that he would do that. And he did it. There's a gift. Extraordinary. It's different. And I believe that he needed this type of gift of faith to press on in this front. And I believe that's probably what it's talking about. The gift, if there's any gift at all, the gift of faith. To persevere, to press on, to face the apostasy and, and the false teachers that were going on. His faith blessed his life with mercy and peace that would come from God. Now the gift, it's interesting because it's chrismata. Uh, and it's pronounced different ways, and I'm not sure, but it was an unusual gift. It was a supernatural gift, and that's what this gift of faith is. Simply saying, fan the flame. And I think that's something that you and I need to do today. Each of you have a gift here today. Each of you here today have a calling. And I think the, the number one calling is to, to be conformed to that image and likeness of Jesus Christ. That, that, that he shouldn't be just prominent in your life, but preeminent. Lord, I, I need and I want you to be preeminent. And I'm going to say I struggle in my own life. And I think all of us here struggle. Some, but Lord, if this is to happen in my life, if it's to happen in your life, we need to pray and make this a commitment of prayer. We need to acknowledge we cannot do this on our own power. I want you to be preeminent in all things. That one, that, that husband, that the Christ is preeminent in that marriage relationship with his wife will be a 
wonderful marriage. Or vice versa, the woman. Or serving in the church. Because then God is glorified. God is first. And God will guide you through. And God will give you the mercy and the grace and the peace wherever you need it. And sometimes in marriage, there's a lack of peace. And we forget that God's in control. He's still on the throne. And you need that peace. We need to fan that flame. If you want Him to be preeminent in your life, you want to persevere, then it means I have to set aside a time. Oh, I don't mean in a legalistic way. You have to decide how you're going to do it. But I'm going to set this time aside for you, Lord. I'm going to pray. And usually most people, when they sit like this and they pray, they they run out of words in about 30 seconds, maybe a minute. That's good. Now listen for the Lord to speak. And then read and study His Word. And keep doing it. And keep doing it. And keep doing whatever your schedule is. And as you keep pressing on, see, there's always your part and God's part. If you really want this in your life, that He would be preeminent, you have to make that move. And He will strengthen you. He will make you in a man, in a woman of God, that he's preeminent. And he will persevere, whether it be in the marriage, your workplace, in this place of apostasy as this world changes so quickly. You won't be a quitter anymore because he was the one that will give you the grace to stand firm in the face of all these things. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank You so much for today. We thank You for the challenge that You give us, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that You would give us the the grace, that You would encourage us to set before You, to, to wait upon You, to really be honest with ourselves, to be honest with You that, Lord, we need You. We need You more than we even recognize. We want you to be preeminent in our life in every way. Lord, I thank you for this book. I thank you for these precious people. I thank you that you have began the work in us. And one day, you will finish the work. And all God's people said, Amen.